Hey, we're, I'm going to continue today with Pastor's sermon series. He started a series called The Gift, and, and he wrapped it up last week, but the more I thought about it, I wanted to add on to that a little bit. And so if you want to take your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Luke. I'll get there in a few moments. But we've just celebrated in the, in the words of the uh, sinner, uh, a singer, I can probably date myself, <clears throat> The song was released in 1963 and, and was sang by Andy Williams, and the word was the most wonderful time of the year. Well, now in 2008, Hallmark released a film with the same title, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And of course, the old classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. But you know, that's not true for everyone. It's not the case for every family about Christmas being the wonderful time of the year. It's a strange holiday in America because it brings the joys of giving, but also the depression of loneliness. It brings the fun of family, but it also brings the disappointment of dreams. The problem for us, though, lies in the expectation. See, even as children, we're taught to expect. Write a letter to Santa or Christmas lists that we make. But even with the most extensive lists, sometimes we miss out on something that's desperately needed. How many of you can remember back um, before there was such a thing as Amazon? <laughs> hey, we've got kids who have never known any other time except the internet. But you remember when the Christmas catalogs used to come out? That catalog was about this thick with nothing but toys and Christmas gifts. And we'd sit down and thumb through that thing and, and you'd find something that just jumped out of the pages at you and you had to have. And so you'd fold the page over hoping mom and dad would see it. <laughs> or you very subtly wrote a great big note and stuck it someplace. <laughs> but even adults did the same things. Because that catalog was full of everything you could imagine and everything you wanted. And yet on Christmas morning, you were left standing in a pile of debris and you didn't get what you wanted. And so Christmas to you was disappointing at that time. All because of our expectations. But this account we're going to read today is all about people who found what they were looking for. They had anticipated, they had expected, and they had watched. Let's start reading in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 21. I'm using the New King James. And so we're going to read, uh, uh, starting in verse 21 down through verse 38. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own heart also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, Asher, she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Can you just begin to imagine what was taking place right here? We're going to look at the cast of characters, and then we're going to focus in on two of them in particular. But the hearts of these people that are involved right here are important. Now, there's five different people mentioned right here. Of course, Mary and Joseph, apparently they were still in the area of Bethlehem, because even sometime later, the wise men found them there. But apparently they had stayed in that area rather than going all the way back to where they came from. But we find something that is seen in this passage, that's seen every place else you find Mary and Joseph, and that's obedience. When the angel made the announcement to, to Mary, she obeyed. When Joseph was tormented about whether to put Mary away or not, an angel spoke to him and he obeyed. Well, we find that obedience again right now. You see, they had brought the child on the eighth day that had him circumcised and named him what the angel had told them to. But now, this is on the 40th day of Mary's purification. You see, when a woman had a child, if it was a male child, she was shut away for 40 days. If it was a female child, she was shut away for 80 days. And at the end of that period of time, they ha she had to come to the temple and offer an offering of atonement, a purification offering. Now, it was supposed to be a, a, a lamb and a dove. But in the case of poor people, as we see here, two doves would be offered. But they acted in total obedience to what God had said. The next person we see here is the baby Jesus. Now, not much is said about Jesus right here because he's not speaking yet. He's only eight days old and when he was circumcised. Now he's 40 days old and he just is long for the ride. His parents brought him, though, to the temple, and this announcement is made of him. Simeon begins to prophesy. Anna began to, to praise. Jesus was there, and they began to know who he was. We find Simeon, one of the main characters of this story. Simeon was a very, very common name in Israel, and it literally means he that hears or obeys, or that is heard. Now, his age is unknown. We don't know, really know how old he is. But we presume he was quite elderly. 
And some people have tried to name him as another Simeon that, that was known or, or tried to tag him on to something else. That, but the scripture really doesn't tell us who he really is. It just calls him Simeon. But he came to the temple that day. God had a plan, folks. You see, I think the reason we're not told is because God is just showing us something and that God can use whoever he will to accomplish his purpose. And secondly, a heart after God will always be satisfied. So it really doesn't matter who he was, except that his heart was opened unto God. Now, it describes him in this passage as a just and devout man. Now, the just refers to his relationship to man. He treated everyone exactly right all the time. He was always the same to them. Have you ever known people that will treat this person one way and that person a different way? That's not Simeon. He treated everyone exactly as God would have him treat them. But he also described him as devout. That's referring to his relationship to God. He was a worshipful man. He would come with praise and adoration, and he sought what God was doing in his life and those around him. He was dedicated and worshipful. But it says he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah to appear. He was waiting for that moment when God would send his Messiah to this world. Now, all of Israel was supposed to be waiting for that. But in the midst of a nation that had forgotten about God and forgotten to worship God and only went through the motions, you find this man just and devout, waiting for what God was going to accomplish. In fact, in verse 25, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. That's an important phrase to remember because you find God's spirit coming and moving upon people all the way from the creation on, but we find it in Simeon. And this is coming together in a moment of time that's going to accomplish something in God's kingdom. It had been revealed to him that he would not see death until seeing the Messiah. But in verse 27 is an outstanding verse that I love. He was led to the temple that day. You ever got up in the morning and think, I don't want to go to church today. My wife told me one day, you have to, you're the pastor. But, <laughs> you know, there's times you're tired, right? And there's times that, that it's just a struggle. And yet God says, come on, come to my house. Now, Simeon came that day knowing something was going to happen. He came looking for what God was going to do. He listened to the Spirit. Now, the fifth person involved here is Anna. Now, Anna, we're told a little more about. She was a godly widow. Now, her age is uncertain. It depends on how you read this passage and which translation you're reading it in. She was married seven years before being widowed. Now, the 84 could refer to her total age, and most probably does. Or it could refer to the length of time she was widowed. Now, if she was married at the earliest possible time in Israel, which was about 12 and a half years old, and was married for seven years before being widowed, and has now been a widow for 84 years, this lady is 103 years old. 
I don't care what generation you're living in, that's old. But 84 or 103, it really doesn't matter. What mattered was her devotion to God. See, her devotion to God that at the temple, when the doors were open. Now, my wife's family was that way. If the door was unlocked at the church, they were in it. Now, I wasn't raised that way. But she was. We had some real adjustments to make when we got married. But what a heritage. And some of you are the same way. We can count on you being here on Sunday mornings. We can count on you worshiping with us and being here. And when you're not, there's an empty spot where you are. But Anna was always in the temple, fasting and praying. Now I want to look closer at these two characters. See, Simeon found what he was looking for. He had been watching for the consolation of Israel. He found what he was looking for. The Spirit had specifically told him in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was going to live to see the Messiah. I don't know how old he was, but this kept him going. He knew that he was not going to die before he saw the Messiah. But I want you to think about this. He had been watching Now, how long this promise had been made to him, we don't know. But he had waited. Imagine the anticipation, if you will. Every new visitor to the temple, every child that came in, is this the one? Is is this the Messiah? Every time he'd see someone he didn't know, is he the one? That expectation was inside him looking for it. But today, he holds the infant, and he begins to praise God. He praises God first for who he is. Simeon knew who he was holding. See, in verse 26, that promise had been made to him that he would see the Lord's Christ. But in 2.30, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen. He knew exactly who he was holding right now, and he was praising God. He began to praise God for why he came. Salvation for all people. Start reading in verse 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. Now think for a minute about what he just said. He is standing in the courtyards of the Jewish temple. God's chosen people. And suddenly he is saying to all people. That was beyond their comprehension. That probably could have got him stoned in certain circles. Because God only cares for the Jews, right? But suddenly he's saying to all people that this is for all people. He's holding a tiny baby and says, this salvation to all people. But he begins to praise him also for what he will do. See, there's a tone of the prophetic wrapped up in this. He uses three things to picture what he is describing for you and I. Look in verse 34. 
Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. See, I'm I'm picturing this as the stone, as he's speaking, for the rise and fall. It refers all the way back to the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and be taken. See, the stone could have been a stepping stone or a stumbling stone for the rise and fall of many. Psalms 118 verse 22 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Used to be in ancient times, we had a chance years ago to visit Turkey. And we could see the ruins of like Ephesus. And when they were building these huge coliseums and these huge buildings with these magnificent pillars and columns, they often had what's called the cornerstone. They began building upon that cornerstone and everything was related to that stone. Every measurement, everything in that building, to the point in some cases, if you pulled that cornerstone out, the building went with it. It would collapse. But this prophecy says that he will be the cornerstone. The one the builders rejected shall become the cornerstone. See, it's the stone of salvation in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. In the New Testament, Matthew, it says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The cornerstone, the stone that is holding us up, Jesus is that cornerstone. Our lives can be built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The old hymn says, but the truth is, in reality, The only sure foundation we have is the cornerstone. How many of you have ever had anybody fail you in your lifetime? (laughs) Nobody? (laughs) We've all had people fail us. But Jesus never fails. He's always the same. And you and I can rest upon him as our cornerstone, our foundation, but it describes that stone also as a stumbling stone. First Peter chapter 2, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Remember I mentioned it could be a stepping stone or a stumbling stone. A few years ago, I was walking across a parking lot. Now, nobody else ever had this, this thing happen. Walked up to the curb and I missed Instead of being the stepping stone, it was the stumbling stone. And I found myself laying flat out in the sidewalk. And some dear old lady came running and said, honey, are you okay? Uh, 
Yes, yes, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't have helped me much anyway, but I appreciated the sentiment, okay? But people often stumble over Jesus. They refuse to acknowledge him. They refuse to allow him to touch their lives. And there are people sitting in this room today, perhaps, that you let Jesus come so far, but no further. You want Jesus to be comfortable in your pocket, but you don't want to totally surrender. It can be a stumbling stone if we're not careful. But he also goes a little bit further, and he says it's a sign which will be spoken against. Look at verse 34. That a sign which will be spoken against. Now, literally, the word for sign that's here is miracle. That he'll be a miracle that's spoken against. Now, that was fulfilled because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, his enemy spoke against the miracles they said now when the pharisees heard it they said this fellow does not cast out demons except by beelzebub they blamed or assigned the very miracles of jesus christ to the devil that's speaking against the sign jesus a sign that would be spoken against but it also refers to him as a sword look at verse 35 A sword that would pierce Mary's heart with sorrow. Now at the cross, his side was pierced and and Mary stood right in front of him. Can you imagine as a mother sitting and watching your son being crucified and tormented and spit upon and finally a spear rammed into his side? Her heart was broken. The sword would pierce her heart. But perhaps it also refers in prophetic words to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus is the living word. According to John chapter 1, he's the living word. And that sword can speak into our lives about who he is. But Simeon Simeon continued and he spoke of the light. He says he's going to be a light. Look at verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Again, the prophetic. He's speaking to the Gentiles. Again, he's standing in the courtyards of the Jewish temple. And he said he's coming to the Gentiles. I'm surprised they didn't rise up. Heresy, heresy. But he saw beyond what he had ever known before. John spoke of the light. In John 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus, speaking of himself, said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This world we're living in is a world of ever-increasing darkness. And you and I are called to shine the light in that darkness. 
We're not called to shine it into. We're called to shine it in. The difference is, if you're just shining it in, you're outside. But if you're the light shining, you're in it. We find that pictured in the story of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But you read on through it, it says that he found God and loved God and served God in his own generation. I used to minister in the prisons a lot. And it wasn't uncommon for an inmate to say, well, you don't understand. I'll serve God when I get out of here. Hey, if you're not serving God now, you're not going to serve him out there. Oh, you don't understand how hard it is. Yeah, I do, but it's just as hard out there. Oftentimes, we think it'll be easier someplace else. No, we serve God where we are. God has you in this place for that moment of time. We serve God where we are and allow him to use us where we are to accomplish his purpose. Simeon found what he was looking for in that little baby he was holding. But let me ask you, who are you holding on to? Or what are you holding on to? Are you really finding what you're looking for in what you're holding on to? Then I have a newsflash. If you're not, then let go of it and pick up Jesus. Because he's the only one who's going to satisfy. Everything in this world will leave you hopeless. It's getting close to noon. I was just thinking, some of you are probably getting hungry. Now, it's actually only about 5 to 11, so don't panic, okay? <laughs> I haven't been preaching that long. Now, most of you had breakfast, but you're still going to get hungry at noon, right? And if you didn't eat anything for breakfast, you're really going to be hungry by noon. That's what the things of this world do to us. We can partake of it and get hungry again. But Jesus satisfies. Jesus is the one who satisfies the longing of your soul. He satisfies the craving for that intimacy with God that's born into every one of us, but only God can fill. He satisfies. Now, I told you we're looking at two of these main characters. The next one is Anna. Anna found what she was looking for as well. Look at verse 38. And coming in in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Coming in that instant, God's timing is always right. Let me illustrate it this way. Many years ago, 51 years ago, I was in Bible school in North Dakota. We were married and and 50 years ago, and as we were, I was working full-time. I was working 37 hours a week as a mechanic and taking a full college load. And I was paying my way through school and providing for my, my little family at the time. And yet, invariably, we had to help. Well, we didn't have to, but we were helping some of the other married couples because they were getting some assistance that we couldn't qualify because I made too much. But they would be 
all their money would be gone at the end of the month. And, and they were needing food. And, and so we were helping them. And I got a little frustrated with that. God, why can't I just take it easy and study more? Well, one day I decided I needed to get rid of this frustration. So I went to talk to the dean of students. And I began to explain to him what was going on. He said, no, I, I wish Peter Walker was here. And I didn't think anything about it. We just went ahead and conversed for a few moments. And about 10 minutes later, the door opened up and Peter Walker, one of the other professors, walked in. He said, what did you want, Jim? He had been walking across the, the campus going home when suddenly the spirit put within his heart, you need to go to Hessler's office. Those two began to pray for me and I have never felt anything like that. I had one on each side and I thought I'd been plugged into a wall outlet. <laughs> After they finished, I went out and Ruby looked at me and said, what happened to you? I said, I'll tell you later. But God touched me. But that's what you're listening to the voice of God. The Spirit led him at that moment, and he brought Anna at this moment. She gave thanks to God, praise for what she had heard Simeon talking about because she had heard this, and she began to praise God. But she began to praise God for what she knew as well. But then the Bible has a different phrase. Then she went out. See, look at the message she proclaimed to everyone who looked for redemption. Coming in at that moment and hearing and began to praise God, and then she went out. She had found what she was looking for. Her first reaction was to praise God. Her second reaction was to tell somebody else. Friends, that's us in a nutshell. When we meet Jesus Christ in our lives, the natural outcome of that is to go and tell somebody else to make sure they find what they're looking for, to make sure their lives can be touched in the same manner. And this dear old saint of God, whether she's 84 or 103, went out to tell people. You know, the Older people in the congregation serve a very important role. They've been through the same things you've been through. And they've made it to the other side. And they know you can make it. And they can share with you wisdom of the ages they have learned and experienced. And the hope found in Jesus Christ. Don't reject the older people because they have a message for you. One of the greatest testimonies I ever heard was a little old lady in our congregation. She was 84 years old, I think at that time. And she said, well, I don't have much of a testimony. And I stopped her. I said, what do you mean? You got saved when you were 14 years old and you've served them all these years? What a testimony. It gives me hope. Share what you've heard. Share what you know. And go forth. So let me ask you very simply. 
Have you found what you're looking for? Now, obviously, I'm speaking about salvation. If you've not met the Savior, you've not seen the Savior, then you're still searching for what you seek. Without Jesus, all this is meaningless. You take Jesus out of Christmas, it's nothing more than cheap wrapping paper and ribbon. That's all it is. But if we've just celebrated this holiday with the true meaning of Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Friends, you're here today, not by accident. Remember Simeon. He came by the Spirit into the temple. That day, that moment, Anna, all but living in the temple, but only when she saw the child does she fully understand redemption. She understood religion versus relationship at this point. She wasn't going through motions anymore. She saw salvation. See, this is a perfect picture of God working. Mary and Joseph coming from this way with the baby Jesus. Simeon coming from this way. Anna coming from that way. But they all came to this moment, this point in time. All together. That's what God accomplishes. It's a perfect picture of what God can do. But you say, oh no, wait a minute. A friend invited me. I'm not here, you know, specifically. A friend invited me. They've invited you 50 times before, but you came today. Or somebody says, well, uh, I was just passing by. Thought I'd stop in. You drive that road 100 times a year, but today you stopped in. See, it's not by accident. We like to try to, to pin things on accidents, but God has you here right now for this moment. I'm also speaking about living as a Christian. Now, you may know who the Messiah is, but you never find what you're looking for yet because you're looking all the wrong places. You need to allow him to be your satisfaction. See, all the alcohol and drugs and immorality all of these things can never satisfy your soul. Jesus does. Amen. Jesus is the only satisfaction. In him, every desire of your heart can be met. And you don't have to wake up the next morning and wonder, what did I do? <laughs> Jesus satisfies. There's an old saying, says, no one is so blind as he who refuses to see. Now, when you lose your vision, that's a terrible thing. But what if you can actually see physically but never see in reality who Jesus is? Of all people, the ones who know what to do and don't do it are the most miserable. See, we need to learn to be like Anna, and we seek the Christ, not just the rituals. 
She had been coming into that temple and spent all of her time in that temple. She must have had some quarters out back and said she didn't leave it. Fasting and praying and worshiping God. You see, Jesus is to be praised and worshiped. He's to be loved and adored and placed within the throne of our heart that we can live for him all the days of our life. But what are you holding on to? Sometimes people hold on to dreams. Something they've always wanted to be. Years ago, I finally had to have a whole lot of medical tests done because they were convinced I had cancer. But it boiled down. Finally, the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you that going out in the woods and sitting on a stump a few hours a day probably wouldn't cure. He says, it's all stress. Well, I finally figured out. I was trying to be something I wasn't. Back in those days, there's some high-profile preachers. I won't get into his name at the moment. And everybody wanted to be like him. And my wife now says, I'm glad you weren't. <laughs> but that wasn't me. I was never going to be the next Billy Graham. I was never going to be this high-profile preacher because God made me me. And sometimes, though, we're guilty of hanging on to a dream that's not us. Sometimes we hang on to people that hurt us. Dallas Holmes used to sing a song about being, being saved, and he said, the song was about he was going to where his old friends were, but he, the song went, what am I going to say? What's he going to say to those old friends? Because sometimes those old friends we hang on to will take us right back down. We need new friends. Sometimes it's just a lifestyle that we can't let go of. But it can't fulfill you. It can't satisfy you. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that all the things we're doing don't satisfy us. But you only find what you seek when we let go of whatever it is we're holding on to. Have you ever saw how they catch a monkey? They have a narrow mouth jar and they put a banana or cookies or candy or whatever in the bottom of it. The monkey puts his hand in, grabs it, and he can't pull his hand out. All he has to do is let go. But he won't let go. And they've caught themselves a monkey. And sometimes I picture that with Satan sitting over here in the corner with some cookie jar down here and I'm getting in it. We don't need to. We need to let go what was the old bumper sticker? Let go, let God. <laughs> I guess we'd have to call that bumper sticker theology. <laughs> let go and let God. And friends, as we're gathered today, 
We need to find what we're looking for. Now, most of you in this room have found what you're looking for. Your relationship to God is great and good and it satisfies the craving of your soul. But there are others here that can't say that. But you know, it takes a moment of time to change that. A moment of time for you and I to commit ourselves to Christ. A moment of time for us to say, I surrender, like that chorus they were singing earlier. My hands are open. Because he wishes to satisfy your soul. Scott, would you bring the worship team, please? In Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. That's a strange term. But I think maybe we could put it this way. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you fence-setters. You're trying to stay on both sides. You know, straddling a fence is really uncomfortable. It'd be so much better to be over here than over there. Jesus spoke. He's talking about the church in Laodicea. And a few years ago, we were were in that, that area. In Laodicea, their hot water came from a natural hot water spring and it was, came to an aqueduct to the city. And the fresh water came to an aqueduct from the other direction and it was cool. The only problem was by the time it got to the city, they were both lukewarm. Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. And friends, today that's us. This moment in time, this last Sunday of the new year, or of the old year, we have a chance to start the new year in a brand new perspective on life. We can start that new year, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, you can start this new year with the, the highest point of your life going forward. I found what I'm looking for. And maybe you've known Jesus for years. But you need to just spend your time worshiping and praising him and then going and telling somebody else. Those who need to hear. We're going to open these altars for prayer in a few moments, but let me ask you a few questions first. What are you looking for? There are Christians sitting here who know Jesus Christ, but they're still looking for something that's not going to satisfy them. If you're still looking for something, then come to the altar and find him. Maybe you know Jesus, but you're still not satisfied. Come to the altar and just begin to worship in his presence. Let him satisfy you. The more of Jesus we have, the less room we have for everything else that doesn't satisfy. Before you begin another year, find out what you're looking for. And may you find it in the perfection of the gift. 
that gift that was absolutely perfect. The gift that is perfect for every person who's ever lived is perfect. As the worship team sings, just find a place at this altar. If you don't know Jesus, then pray that simple prayer of asking him to come into your life. Find what you're looking for. If your heart is hurting, just find a place at this altar and let the giver of life speak to you today. Let him touch you with hope as we come into his presence. Come to the altars. Let's worship the Lord and find what we need today. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God. God, we thank you that in the, the birth of that small baby, hope came into the world. Lord, we thank you for those, God, who found what they were looking for in this little infant. But Lord, we know him now as the one who grew and gave his life upon the cross. And in him, we find all we need. Lord, may your word speak to us throughout this week. God, may every time we begin to think about those things that pull us away, God, may we really think, is that going to satisfy me or not? Lord, we need to come to the one who satisfies. Lord, may your strength rest upon this people. Lord, there are so many that are catching COVID again, but God, your Holy Spirit can give us health. And so Lord, put a shield right about your people and build them up, keep them strong and well. And Father, may you touch those who are sick. God, those who have been in the hospital, Lord, and recovering from surgery, touch them today, God. Lord, may they feel your presence in that room. And Father, as we gather together in the various groups looking for the new year tonight, God, may you meet. God, plant within us the expectation of a new year with you. Plant within us, oh God, the hope of the coming of the King. And Lord, may we be as Simeon looking for the consolation of Israel. Father, may you bless your people this day. Encourage them, challenge them, and heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. Thanks for coming today. Have a great celebration tonight. Oh.